0: A huge congratulations to Serena Wiegmann and the Lionesses for winning the Euros last night and ending over half a century of hurt. However, I fear that pain, suffering, and hurt is only about to get started for one famous old F1 team that reside in Italy. Let's get started.
1: Another race for the world's greatest driver, Juan Manuel Fangio. Former world champion Jim Clark leapt into the lead. That's Clark's Lotus going like a bomb. And James Hunt is the world champion by just one single point.
2: By being a racing driver, you are under risk all the time. And if you no
1: longer go for a gap that exists, you're no longer a racing driver. But that is
0: Michael Schumacher. The world champion. To become a four-time world champion, Sebastian Vettel, Lewis Hamilton, champion of the world. That's for all the kids out there who dream the impossible. Max Verstappen, for the first time ever, is champion Hello and welcome to episode 23 of F1 in Review, the episode in the hour where we look back at round 13 of the season, the Hungarian Grand Prix. Hello, I'm Tom Claiborne and I'm back and as ever I'm joined by Tristan Fancourt and Angus Gallagher who held the fort so well in the last episode looking back at the French Grand Prix. A reminder that you can follow myself and Tristan individually on Twitter as well as the F1 in Review accounts. Now, those listening to F1 in Review, be that via River Radio or on your podcast provider, must think that I'm a broken record. and Because once again, we start with the same old thing. But, you know, facts are facts, we must report them. And we're looking back at another another Ferrari flop. They qualified in P2 and P3, behind a slow Mercedes. Yet finished in P4 and 6, and there was no rain, there was no issues with the car, no power unit problems, no hydraulic failures. This was, once again, a self-inflicted injury by Ferrari of their own making. Round one of pit stops went very well, but then, you know, you got to lap 30, you saw Leclerc going for a wonderful diving move for the lead, you just thought, oh, here we go a Ferrari going to go and win themselves another Grand Prix and take the fight back to Red Bull after losing a bit of the mantle after they went on a good run and you know you got to the second round of pit stops and you had you know let's say some people going or should I say the vast majority of the grid going for mediums but the Ferraris thought the hard the more durable yet the slower tyre and the one that's harder to fire up and rubber in was the way to go for Charles Leclerc and we look at a situation now where Verstappen's won another race, you have two Mercedes on the podium, and as I say, a thrown away chance for Ferrari. What do we make of that? Because we are once again having a conversation about Ferrari chucking away valuable points, and the gap between Ferrari and Red Bull getting larger and larger. Be that in the drivers' championship, and as well on the constructors' at that.
1: Well, now, Tom, welcome back. It's great to hear your voice again. I think we've all missed it uh, last week. It wasn't the same having to do the intro and then doing the topics without you. So welcome return back. we got the trio back together. Um, It's very nice to have you back. And as you say, massive congratulations to our our Lionesses. Absolutely fantastic to watch them last night. It it was such a great, a great deal of sport going on yesterday as well. Having the Formula One and then the Euros final. Apologies if you are not from Europe and have no idea what we're on about. We're talking about (laughs) the uh, European Championship uh, uh, Women's Football League tournament that was going on. Um, but, yeah, absolutely fantastic to watch that yesterday um, when they when they won. Um, and now on to Ferrari, for God's sake. We 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 always talk about Ferrari, it seems, for the, the wrong reasons at the moment. And I, t- I just don't know what they're thinking at all. I thought it, it, the best bit, actually, uh, yesterday for Ferrari was um, it looked like Matti Bonotto just got off the pit bull, the team principal Ferrari, and left. He did come back, but I thought he should have <laughs> just left. Oh well that's it we're off um after they made an absolute blunder um in terms of the the tire strategy and there is a lot to dissect in this um effectively what happened was there was a split in the teams about whether or not you should start on the medium or you should start on the soft the soft being the softest compound tire gives you the fastest lap time which is great at the beginning of the race but of course because it's really soft it degrades really quickly and so you have to you have to pit earlier the mediums on the other hand give you a worse lap time to, to begin with but they last a bit longer so you get a big advantage in terms of being able to do the overcut being able to run longer than everyone else and so ferrari start on the mediums and red bull start on the softs and then red bull pit on the softs and wow ferrari think oh that's a good idea we're on the mediums and they're on the softs we better pit at the same time losing all advantage of having the mediums i i cannot i don't know what they were doing I, what why on earth would you do that because they should have run him leclerc longer why did they pit at the same time as red bull when they're on different tire strategies i know we say ferrari can you just copy the strategy of red bull but you've got to do <laughs> it completely you can't just copy when they when they pit that doesn't work and then and then and then when everyone else is demonstrating beautifully how bad the hard tires are working for for them because the hard tires work very nicely when it's very 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 hot and you can get that very hard compound very nice and squishy but it was cold yesterday and that was demonstrated nicely by people like McLaren who put Ricardo on the hards and it didn't work very well. And and Ferrari looked at them struggling and went, Yeah, I'll have some of that, please. Um and <laughs> tried look at it. And so so they Ferrari pick the two slowest compounds. They go for the medium to start off with, pit at the same time as everyone else is pitting on the softs, and then chuck him onto hards, which just compromises his lap time completely. He starts sliding backwards. And, and so and so they then realize that mistake, and so they pit him for for softs. So Whilst everyone else goes for a lovely combination of soft and mediums, Ferrari decided to give it them all a go. Ah, let's just keep pissing. In a minute, we'll chuck an intermediate tyre on. I was half expecting them to give the wets a go to see if whether or not that would work for him for a little bit better. After all, that is the softest compound you have. It was an absolute disaster. I, I honestly, we joke about the Magic Ouija board get, being the way they should start doing their strategy. I think they should because obviously they just the people that are currently watching the race aren't actually watching what we're watching. The any Ferrari fans out there, I'm so sorry that you have to keep watching this because Charles Leclerc looked like he was ready to just <laughs> punch the uh, the rest of the team in the in the interviews. He looked like he was two sentences away from having a small sob. A a fun fact for you, by the way, after yesterday's race, is that Lewis Hamilton now has more podiums this year than Charles
2: Leclerc does. That's incredible. Jeez.
0: <sighs> wow.
2: You wouldn't expect that, would you? Like, And to carry on from the football theme, or the, I think the coming home theme, I think if, if football's finally come home to the UK and the to England especially Ferrari might as well go home honestly yeah. at this point <laughs> it's it's it is an extremely good job in my opinion they have a summer break coming up because if ever a team needed a time to refresh and reset and redo arguably it's them i mean yeah i just i don't even know what to say anymore like they had it they had it mate they had it in the bag they had them they they look like they started off the race, like on a good moment, like with good pace. Admittedly took their time to get past Russell, but lap thirty one, Leclerc does a brilliant out, uh, move around the outside of turn one to get Russell for the lead, and you think, right, there we go. He's up in first. Verstappen still he's, Verstappen had made good progress, you know, up to like fourth or fifth, but mm. you were like, you know what, Leclerc's gonna get some points back today in the championship and Ferrari and the constructors likewise. But then like I don't... Why the hards? Why, <laughs> why the hards? Mm. Why? Like, the tyre, if it had been used, it'd been used scarcely by other teams. You know why? Because it was rubbish. Because it struggled. And they thought, you know what, this is a great idea. Like, we'll go on to hards, we'll go to the end of the race. We totally won't... They are probably thinking we totally won't be overtaken by other cars. You know, for sure. But, mm. like, it just... It made no sense. The fact that... The fact also that Verstappen's gone the mediums, He's gone past Leclerc. And then Verstappen spun and almost blocked Perez and Russell into each other, having got back on the track. But he still overtook Leclerc again. Like, cause, of course he did, because Leclerc's on hards. Of course, he, you, of course he overtook him. like. And also, I think, just to sum it up, really, the icing on the cake for, for Leclerc was that if Ferrari really backed their strategy choice, I think that, you know, arguably in life sometimes, you just got to, even if your decision's going wrong, you just got to back yourself, you got to back it, you know? And they should have just backed. They should have just gone. Forget it. We'll go on the hards to the end of the race. Whatever. But they've pitted with 15 laps to go for the softs, losing track position. Admittedly, you could you could maybe think, okay, a bit like science in uh, France, how he went back on the softs and then he raced up past a few cars again. But Hungary, like track position, is more important in Hungary because it's a tight, twisty track. And he's lost track position, and they've also not left him enough time to overtake the cars. And it's just it's just a whole load of a litany of errors is the way I'd used yeah. to describe it. Mm-hmm. And it's just it's regularly now costing Ferrari points, costing Leclerc points. Haven't even talked about science as well. His strategy was a bit I'd call it skew if and it just didn't work out in a car which realistically was quicker than the Mercedes, and yet you finished behind both of them. Like it makes no sense how that happened. Um, and I'm looking at the driver's championship table now and you may talk about you may think about at the end of the season, perhaps, where this title was won and lost. In the last eight races, Verstappen has finished on the podium seven times. Leclerc has finished on the podium once in that same period. and That was his win in Austria. And that is down to reliability, and it's down to strategy decisions. Now, on at least two, three, possibly four occasions, costing him and... It's just, you're, you're right, Tristan, that for the first time after the race, the Ferrari drivers looked like they were in a proper mood about it and, like, not trying to hide things, you know. Science last week was kind of like, you know what, you give us too much too much chat in the media, you give us, like, too much stick, you say that we're rubbish, we actually, we're not idiots, we have a clue. <laughs> <laughs> um, <laughs> yeah. That was a challenge, um, well, I think. <laughs> yeah, he, 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 um, he shouldn't have opened his mouth, arguably, he should have just, because uh, it's it's come back to bite him. Um that comment because once again Ferrari have just shot themselves in the foot, the back, the neck, the leg, <laughs> in many places really. <laughs> yeah. And it's hope. costing them this cha- the drivers' championship. And I remember a few races ago I was like, oh Mercedes won't catch up to Ferrari, like there's a pace deficit mm. there. Um but there's there's a there's a pace deficit, but there's not a strategy deficit. There certainly is a strategy <laughs> deficit. <laughs> um, with Mercedes now being just thirty <laughs> points behind them. And yeah, the fact if you if you said to me, like two months ago that at this stage Mercedes would have more podiums across the season than Ferrari. <laughs> I've laughed at you, but that is um, the case and this is the situation we're in and yeah, like oh, I can't believe it. Like it just it just the word Ferrari right now just prompts a sigh, just of um of <laughs> resignation. Yeah.
0: How it can't get worse really. Um mm. but who know who knows?
2: <laughs> who knows at <of> this lot? <laughs>
0: Yeah, I mean, I've completely lost confidence in Ferrari now. It's got to the point where if they were to be P1 and 2 for the remaining races, they'd probably win... 10th of the races they were in 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 that regard really like it's just got to the point now where they are just such a laughing stock and it's so sad to see really you know one of if not the oldest teams in formula 1 with such a prestigious history and it's had so many great drivers go there and now it's ultimately become almost a graveyard for great drivers we saw Vettel who we'll talk about later didn't go right there owing mean, to so, yes some issues with the car but also some strategy issues as well you're seeing Leclerc Undoubtedly a great talent, and ultimately he's not been given the tools to finish the job. Be that from the pit wall and you know the strategy. Signs is no mug, as we know from his McLaren days. You know these are great drivers that ultimately are uh, having their potential zapped away owing to. I don't want to go and say intentional errors or intentional mistakes, but looking at some of the litany of them, and when you consider that this is not an isolated incident in terms of a strategy script, you think, well, what on earth is going on? Because we had something similar in Monaco, didn't we, where they needlessly pitted Le- um, Leclerc twice and tried to make science do similar. You know, not too dissimilar from uh, Hungary in terms of a track as well. Very tight and twisty. You know, not many chances to overtake. You saw in France, for example, where Sainz was mid-battle, I believe for a podium position against Perez, and he was told during that battle, fancy coming in for a pit? I mean, this is just ridiculous. It's bordering on unprofessionalism, isn't it, really? I mean, it's just absolute laughing stock. I mean, I... Add to that as well, power unit issues, yes, one or two driver issues in terms of areas where we saw uh, France and Austria as well. But at this point, I remember a while ago, back in 2020, I think, when they had that awful season, we posed that question of do we think the head should roll at Ferrari? Is enough enough? Does there need to be changes? And I think from memory, we all agreed on the idea of no, it's a bit too soon to be fair. You know they are owed a poor season after the controversy of 2019. Give them some time and they'll put it all back together type of thing. And looking at the start of this season, as I could by yours truly and I think everyone else, they did look like they were going to put it back together yeah. and be a serious force in Formula 1. I thought, I thought how on earth have Ferrari not won themselves a championship, be it drivers or constructors previously, when they've got so much money behind them, such great drivers, all this sort of stuff. But now we're seeing why aren't we? Because In many cases, the personnel is what's wrong. And in my view, if heads don't roll during the summer, if there's not a change in key positions, then you've got to pose the question, are Ferrari serious about being world champions in either constructors? Because it doesn't take a genius of Formula 1 to look at the current picture and go something's wrong. Something's seriously wrong because if this was the 2020 car or the car from the 80s which we were told is so awful, you go, go, well, well, fair enough then. If strategy was great, we'd still only be fifth at best, sixth, seventh, you know, just getting into the points, fine. But as we say so many times, this is probably one of, if not the best uh, Ferrari cars in terms of makeup and packages yes. we've seen in ages, years, and they are literally throwing it away to a Mercedes car which is quote unstable which is quote out of shape which is undrivable. so an undrivable mercedes is apparently as we're led to believe in terms of points trajectory about to go and overtake ferrari which as we saw in pre-season was the one to be i mean utterly scandalous if you ask me and as I say Ferrari really need to consider what they are are they a team that's all about you know the commercial side of things of being in formula 1 having a great presence having that sort of you know image around you or are they going to be a serious team about winning you know trophies championships mm. races even because they're at that crossroads now and I think you know for the good of everyone they've got to actually I hate to say it but go down the racing option I can't believe I'm actually saying it but They'll be good. They need to be ruthless. Something needs to change, but I'm not wholly convinced there will be changes.
1: It's, it's odd because we people have been moaning in Formula 1 that there's not enough strategy anymore because we got th- rid of things like refueling, which is something that used to happen. Imagine if Ferrari had to deal with refueling at the same time uh, as they had uh. to manage what what they were doing with their tyres because I don't think they'd even complete a race. Yeah, because those two things have to tie in together. You have to be able to fuel your cars enough so that your tires aren't gonna run out by the time you don't run time you run out of fuel and things like that. And in addition, right, if you don't know, Pirelli, the manufacturer of the F1 tires, going into a race weekend, they actually publish some strategy ideas for the teams, right? So this weekend's um ones were Uh, a quick two stopper which was softs until lap 16 to 21 and then mediums lap 42 and 47 and then mediums to the end if you watch the race that soft medium medium strategy was actually quite popular or you have a, a a one stopper which they think will be about as quick which is mediums to lap 26 then hards till the end obviously hards fell off a cliff and we knew they weren't gonna be very good so that wasn't very popular Then there's another, they give you an alternative one-stopper, which is softs until lap 21, 28, then hards. And then finally, they give you a fourth option, which is like an alternative two-stopper, which is mediums until lap 20, 25, hards until lap 48, and then softs to the end. Now, within that, teams will then play with it. So... Um, you might we saw Mercedes do a great job with with um, Hamilton and playing those mediums till very late and then adding the softs and he could basically get past everyone but oddly enough Ferrari's medium medium hard was not featured right anywhere in 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 Pirelli's uh strategy there and and that should give you some clues as to the popularity and success nature of your strategy because even Pirelli right when they're publishing the data they publish the day, these strategies with the idea that the tyres the will get into their optimum running speeds so even with the notion that these hard tyres would be amazing medium, medium, hard was always going to be slower, that's what they said they basically said it's never going to be faster and yes they get it wrong, but my god Ferrari, why didn't you compare the two they, half the job is often done for you by the fact that the teams around you demonstrate successes and failures in in strategies you can react to the fact that someone's tried the hards to to you know give it a go and see if if they'll perform brilliantly if you're at the front and ferrari were at the front they had all the luxuries but to be honest guys i think it was lost for ferrari when they pitted leclerc off the medium tires at the same time as red bull pitted the soft because At that point, they lost the ability to use the softs. And in Formula One, you have to use two different tyre compounds. There's a reason why you can't just do medium-medium. Because as soon as Ferrari did that, they lost their option to get Leclerc onto the softs because they pitted him too early. The softs would have run off a cliff. And so they had to do so. They panicked. Uh, To be honest, they just panicked. They didn't know what to do but i think ferrari going to have to as you say tom definitely come up with something different and and you know try different strategy team i i just cannot believe that the, the team that is held with such high regard such an iconic brand would allow themselves to be made a, a mockery every weekend it seems because i i i'm struggling to think of a single weekend where Ferrari haven't almost lost out if they've been running in the lead, other than perhaps the very, very early races, the first two races. But even when they won, even when they won at Austria, Leclerc still had that potential throttle problem.
0: And looking on the other side of the coin, Mercedes doing so well once again at this Grand Prix. The man from Kingsland, George Russell, Put it on poles to start with. Lewis Hamilton was in 7th, but that was kind of owing to DRS issues according to him and the team. But look at where they finished again. P2 for Hamilton, P3 for George Russell. And once again, as we say, we're looking at a situation now where Mercedes are closing the gap to Ferrari. They're improving on the car despite the comments coming out of the Mercedes garage when it came to Friday. You had George Russell doing so well in the early stages of this Grand Prix, keeping the two Ferraris at bay until lap 31. You had Hamilton going long, he overtook Norris, he watched the Ferraris, well, self-destruct really, and but unfortunately not uh, close enough or not quick enough, should I say, to really face Max as we saw last season. But they're definitely moving in the right directions and we saw, once again, a consistency there of both drivers finishing. Are we getting to a situation now where we could see Mercedes win a race? Are we getting to that point or is that still too far, do you think? Oh, we know my thoughts on this. I'm still a... Uh I don't want to say Mercedes skeptic,
2: but I feel like I have <laughs> been for a, for a while on the podcast. Ah, um, uh, to be fair, I think it's bu- it's great, it's buzzing how like they're actually coming up the field and doing a lot better, and they're showing like good pace. There's the pole, like from Russell. I for context, I was uh, I missed qualifying on Saturday. I was busy elsewhere doing something else, and I've looked up the result and I've gone, oh, rain was forecast. That must have been a wet quali, you know? Red Bull tenth, eleventh, Mercedes on pole and then turns out no it was it was stone stone dry bone dry you know it's um yeah quite incredible because we just didn't expect that pace to come from mercedes i think they were still they were looking a bit better in practice but they were lacking a little bit and yeah for russell to stick it on poles phenomenal as well as the fact that you know first pole position in formula 1 it's always uh, it's always bu- it's always incredible to see that happen when you got a new driver on pole especially when it's our boy george um so, yeah, and then the race, he kept some good pace. You kind of felt throughout the race, to be honest, you probably felt that he'd be overtaken by Ferrari uh, eventually, which he was, and then we know what happened there. But in the end, I think to finish finishing behind Verstappen may be disappointing, but, and to finish behind Hamilton as well may be slightly disappointing. But at the end of the day, for him, a good weekend's work. For Mercedes, a great weekend's work. That is a second race in a row with a double podium. It's also the sixth race in a row where they have had one car finish on the podium. So again, great, great progress being shown, and I am still of the opinion I'd say that I don't think they'll catch Ferrari. Ferrari have somehow, surely, surely got to kick mm-hmm. into gear at some point. It can't get any worse, surely. Even though it, can. it, wouldn't, <laughs> surprise, it wouldn't surprise me to see, Yeah, it wouldn't surprise me at the same time. But um, I still, I think, I think I'll repeat what I said last week in terms of Mercedes winning a race is a possibility definitely and it looks more likely now that it would be like on genuine pace than say a fluky more upside down race but i still think their best chance is taking advantage of something in a race where like the top two teams have been sidelined for various factors or or one another so whilst there's the progress is there and it's looking promising i'm still i'm still going to be a mercedes skeptic i think i'm still just on the case of you know red bull and ferrari just ahead um, and whilst Mercedes, of course, do have two phenomenally talented drivers in Hamilton and Russell, I still think it would take more extenuating circumstances for them to bag a race win. But at the same time, I'll repeat this again, circuits coming up later in the season, like ones with like smoother track surfaces and fast corners where they could excel. Belgium, I think, comes to mind. Uh, somewhere like Sao Paulo, maybe. So there is hope, but... And one or two race wins by the end of the season is achievable, I think. But I think it still needs to come from like extenuating circumstances. But at the same time, would I be happy if I saw them get a race win? Absolutely, because it's better for Formula One and also two British drivers. It'd be brilliant to see them get on the top step of the podium. To be honest, I think they could win,
1: but it's going to have to be from a a weird race. Maybe Leclerc and Max crumple together and... That's how we, we end up having a situation where the, basically the top two individuals are, are taken out and so then everyone moves up to. And so, for example, if that had happened in Hungary, then Hamilton would have won. I think it's an odd one because Mercedes are definitely making gains, but I have a funny feeling that it's going to be next year that they're going to be really, really competitive uh, because of the, the massive amount of R&D that they can do over the... Um, over the winter's break and bear in mind that if they don't win this year, they get more wind tunnel time than they would if they did win. So they will have a bit more of an advantage going into next year. Looking at, at the points because Angus mentioned them um, I think we're going to have a couple of weird things coming out of this season now that we're we're going into the summer break we sort of um, hypothesise these things. But with, to be honest, I think with only 30 points between Ferrari and Mercedes, Ferrari being a second and Mercedes being a third. Absolutely Mercedes could overtake Ferrari. Uh, it, they I I just think Mercedes could actually have the consistency advantage now. Yes, their car is sometimes being described as undrivable, but that doesn't necessarily correlate into end results. As we can see by the fact that we're talking about how Mercedes have had yet another double podium. I mean if you I cannot believe that. I thought last week, I I said it might even just be a fluke. Well, I don't know. It's starting to become a bit more likely. It's starting to look look like it's not a fluke. I think if they get it, if they get a third double podium this year, then you can't really call it a fluke anymore. Um, And actually that they just have excellent strategists. Maybe that's what Ferrari needs to do. They just need to steal all of Mercedes (laughs) strategists or Red Bulls, actually. Um, Or, even Aston Martins, because they they have an all right strategy too. But Mercedes are definitely in the position now where they can start doing that that sort of challenge for Ferrari. And I think maybe that's making Ferrari nervous because I just think they, in themselves, don't have the capacity to out-strategize other teams at the moment. I think Ferrari are running on the fact that they just have this raw speed Whereas Mercedes, mm. because they know the car is more difficult to drive, they're starting to think about how they can split strategies with their drivers, for example. That's exactly what happened this weekend. Right? George Russell was overtaken by Hamilton in the, in the end because Hamilton was, was given the medium tyres to go much longer and then was pitted onto softs and then was a second and a half, second and a half quicker than the rest of the pack. For the last sort of 15 laps. Which got him a massive pace advantage. Whereas George Russell. Was having to cover what. um, Red Bull and Ferrari were doing. And so was left on the mediums. To basically get him to the end. Because he didn't have the softs open to him. And so Mercedes basically. Had a double strategy idea there. Where they had Hamilton gunning. For the, the outright speed. Which was a bit more risky. But George having a more conservative strategy. That guaranteed him in the end a place on the podium and that's the kind of success that we know mercedes is capable of which is why mercedes is such a double threat when they also have pace because then i mean this is why they're almost unstoppable you just have to go back through the previous years to see just how unstoppable they were let's not forget that in 2019 mercedes won in first place with 739 points and yes going into this this um summer break we can see that Red Bull have 431 points but I'd say that the 2019 season was a much much shorter than this season and also didn't have the extra bonus points from things like the sprint races so Red Bull might well beat Mercedes's all-time points ratio but that that's not necessarily apples to apples Mercedes were an unstoppable force and to be honest I think they still are a pretty unstoppable force george russell getting pole position on saturday was one of the highlights of the year when we were I was watching it live and we were like well that's qualifying over a ferrari one <laughs> <What? laughs> <laughs> and even like crofty we were listening to his commentary was like well and that's time for qualifying over and then suddenly out of nowhere no purple sectors and boom over the line fastest time George, Mr. Saturday, absolutely nutslap, absolutely insane. Oh, one of the best things I've seen this year. And that's the level that Mercedes are still at and you cannot disregard them. Heaven forbid if Mercedes is on form next year because Russell and Hamilton, that could be a a match made in heaven in terms of you being a mercedes fan and if you're anyone else's fan you should be quaking at that possibility because if mercedes return up to speed next year then i I can't see anyone else winning the championship however that's next year and this year i think they're gonna maybe come in second after all that because ferrari seems to decide it doesn't really fancy (laughs) taking first or second it just
0: wants to slip back yeah absolutely and credit to Mercedes and to an extent Red Bull as well for the progress they've made so far after what sort of 12-13 races we've had at the start of the season of course Red Bull had the reliability issues and now seemingly they've been solved in Mercedes as well you know they had their reliability issues when it came to porpoising they had other issues as well when it came to pure pace but they seem to have shown that you know it doesn't take a whole season it doesn't take too long for a team to get back up to where they are, roughly speaking, because the idea, as we say now, that Mercedes could have won a race, let's say in the first five of them, is purely unthinkable. Really, yes, they were getting onto the the lowest step of the podium, and they were getting, you know, fourth and fifth, and they were in and around. But as Toto Wolff and how everyone else said, really, they were third by de facto, really, not really by talent. It was because. They were there purely because they were better than the midfield pack, but they weren't good enough to get up to the the battle between uh, first and second. So really, as you say there, the improvements they've made and the consistency of their two drivers... They really are the ones to watch I think for the remainder of this season and next season moving forwards and we're seeing once again George Russell is proving his worth when it comes to not only qualifying but also race pace as well holding those two Ferraris off for the slower car is a you know achievement in it itself but as we say imagine what he could do in a faster car there as well and this whole myth as well about Lewis Hamilton quote unquote losing it not having the ability he once had is obviously you know, flies in the face of what we've just seen in the last two races He's He's not gone, he's always been there very much, but it's the the issues he's had with the car and the porpoising and all the rest and... Just having a slower package, which has really hampered him, but I would be somewhat disappointed really if mercedes don 't go and win a race and I realize that 's a lot to ask for from the context of this season because on paper you 've got four drivers that should be ahead of at least one of those cars but we 're seeing issues with ferrari we 've seen a bit of a tailing off you could argue from someone like Perez in that red bull he 's not doing anything wrong per se, but he's the heights he was hitting uh, previously in the sort of middle section have faded somewhat, so he's definitely beatable I think when you consider how well the Mercedes have done on Saturday and Sunday here and if I was them looking at how well they've done at Hungary I'd be eyeing up a circuit like Singapore for example where let's say they have a good qualifying and get off to a good start and can hold their own there's not too many overtaking spots there you look at Mexico as well it's slightly different to Singapore and indeed to Hungary but once again that's one where there's not too many overtaking possibilities so if I was them, I'd be noting those type of circuits onto the respective calendar of Mercedes and going this could be a scenario where we could grab a race win and I suppose it's one of those where if you were to look at this season and see Mercedes without a race win you go well it's a bit of a failed season and you'd be hard pressed to say it isn't a bit of a regression at least from the, the high standards they were setting but the strides they've made is is quite remarkable. What what do you guys think? Do you feel that if Mercedes don't win a race this season considering how well they're going in terms of trend now, that would be somewhat of a failure or would that be a bit too harsh?
1: I don't think necessarily it would be an outright failure because the the thing is, we are speaking from a completely new perspective um because we've seen some success in terms of like second now they've had um twice as second and third double podium i don't think it would be a failure i think it would just be a natural finishing point for their arc this this year because they've come a long long way from qualifying in 10th and 8th place in the first races and now getting onto the podium having to deal with the porpoising issues without any wind tunnel um extra wind tunnel time and within a budget cap as well. I think Mercedes is definitely playing the long game and I don't think they will see it as a, a failure. I think if you if you'd like I think Mercedes has has the ice cream, it's got the whipped cream, it's got the sprinkles and I think the race win would just be the cherry on top. And you know if you if I present to you a delicious Ice cream Sunday, or as we call it colloquially in the UK, a knickerbocker Glory. Without a cherry, I don't think you'd be like that's a failure of a pudding.
0: No, but then again, that's like Gordon Ramsay presenting something that's semi half baked by his standards. When you when you say,
1: no, I don't think so. I think it can be a delicious, like delicious pudding nonetheless. Keeping up with this pudding analogy, and um, it depends what you started off with. Like if I gave. If I gave Ramsey a whole load of terrible ingredients and he managed to make something half decent out of it, you'd be like, wow, that's that's, that's all right. That's all right. I think that's the thing. We have to measure the starting um, place of Mercedes this year. Remember, Tom, we are just so used to this Mercedes. And it wasn't always like this. Going back before the the new turbo hybrid era, back to when it, other Schumacher, Schumacher Senior, Michael Schumacher, was racing for Mercedes with Nico Rosberg, they weren't really taking race wins then, and and you know they build themselves up. This is a completely new era, and by by that measurement, everything they did before is sort of nullified. you know that, and and that's I think the whole problem with a team like Mercedes is they've just been so successful that as soon as the rules and uh, change and the carpet gets whipped out from underneath their feet, then everyone's like, "Well, hold on a minute, you did really well last year." Um, and of course, you can't necessarily measure their success. So I think, to be honest, I think as I say, it would be the cherry on top. But I don't think it would necessarily say, be a failure. Red Bull and Ferrari are just so fast. Red Bull, especially, like Max mm. is is so so fast. And and is there going to be a weekend where where both Red Bull mess up and Ferrari mess up with both their drivers? Uh, that would that would have to be a pretty damn special weekend. And then I, I kind of put it to you that in that scenario, it's basically a free-for-all in terms of the midfield, right, after
2: that. A race weekend where Fry mess up with both their drivers? What? No, that's to be fair. It can happen. Um, but honestly, <laughs> it, it can happen. We've, it, I've heard about it in the past. Um, I think that to answer the question about failure or not, it depends who you ask. If you're a Mercedes employee or if you're a toto wolf or a driver you see this as a failure because you expect to win races in that team um and even after pre-season you probably think well we're behind but we'll catch up you know um but based on the start they had and based on things like they were way they've been way off it at points this season yeah they've they've actually had the two things you can give them credit for is that one they've been there in the right place at the right time and two they've been bulletproof when it comes to reliability the only retirement they've had all season has been Russell's crash on the first lap of Silverstone. The only other non-points finish they've had was Hamilton finishing 13th in Imola. Every other time, both cars in the points, every race. So that is something to to be considered a success, I think. Even at their lowest point of, literally, literally their lowest point in the last 10 years, they've still got that level of consistency. And there have been points where for example, it was Saudi Arabia where they were probably the fifth fastest car even behind Alpine and McLaren and that was the one I think where Hamilton went out in Q1 uh, or finished like 14th or 15th in Q2. So they've had some proper stinkers this season. So if they were to come from that and even get to within a whisker of a race win or get in regular double podiums, arguably some would see that as successful. But I think for them, based on high expectations from previous years, they may see it as a failure. But at the same time, that harsh... Judgement that like harsh attitude they have towards their own performance is why they've been the benchmark for many years. So maybe it's the right one to have. Maybe it's the right one for them to consider their season a failure. I have a question in return, though. I think because I was I was thinking about this um,
1: before you interjected, Tom. Which which is we know Hamilton's on a two year contract. Mm. If they don't win this year and everything's hinging on next year, do you think Hamilton will sort of see it as? As maybe, sort of time for him, and he he could well retire as you know at the end of not this season but but next season.
0: I think yeah, my views on Lewis Hamilton and how long he'll stay in Formula One haven't really changed. Being 37 years old now, we're seeing some people carry on after that but naturally with age comes a a shelf life really and I think Lewis Hamilton is one of those drivers he'll only be in Formula One when he knows he can go for race wins and he's at the very top although a lot of people say that I think he's cut a bit differently in that regard so I can see him leaving at the end of his contract I think he understands in many ways as we spoke about with the regulation changes with Mercedes just you know having an off season really after so many years of dominance I think he very much accepts that's how it is but Moving forwards, we know he has different interests outside of Formula One. We know that he is a great ambassador for many other things and that his voice won't disappear from the sport more generally. But, coupled with that, the fact that you've got George Russell doing so well, a serious competitor on his day when it comes to Lewis Hamilton, you know, someone who can definitely beat him, uh, as we've seen, and he's only going to get better. I think that is a real shock to the system because, as we say, Hamilton has previously gone up against one other person, but now you've got George Russell, you've got Leclerc, if everything goes right with Ferrari, you've got Verstappen, you've got Norris. There's so many young drivers that are building up to their climax and to the peak of their powers. And I think Hamilton's no fool insofar that he's not going to stick around in Formula One because he finds it, you know, as a hobby or just enjoys it in that regard. He wants to be there to win. And I think. The window of him doing that is closing. Next season could be very good. He could get that world championship. But once again, the whole landscape, the whole dynamic about which he'll be fighting that world championship in versus, let's say, 2020 and 21 when it was Hamilton and Bottas. But moving forwards, if Mercedes are, let's say, the top of the pile or competing for that, it will be Hamilton and Russell going for that championship, not just Hamilton going for it. So that changes the dynamic, I think, there. And that's discounting as well. Other teams not being at the races and regressing from their current standpoint. I don't see Red Bull, for example, getting any worse. Surely Ferrari can only get better as well. And then you've got the midfield teams like... McLaren for example which have a lot of cash behind them and Alfa Romeo seemingly as well with Bottas and the money from Guernica and the talent there as well so it's a very competitive field moving forwards and I don't think Lewis Hamilton is going to be one of those drivers where he's happy to sit in the midfield but I could be proved wrong we're seeing with other drivers which, will be, which we'll speak about a bit later they're going on to 40 plus so it's not impossible just unlikely I feel
1: What did you think about Mercedes not Employing team orders during the race, when Hamilton was behind Russell, fighting for for second, I think many of us, me included, were expecting to hear the engineer go on to Russell and be like, uh, "We're not fighting Hamilton behind. We will <laughs> let him go." Mm. And of course, that didn't happen. Mm. Do you, what do you think that tells us about Mercedes this year?
0: Well, I think the context is key there because you had the Ferraris imploding in one regard. You had Verstappen impossible to catch with the pace that he had and and the gap there. And you saw as well that Perez wasn't, you know, too much of a concern there, so I think it's one of those you know, context is key because it wasn't a do or die situation. They did have a bit of freedom, a bit of latitude, really, to allow the two to fight. But I think you know, going on from the the previous point for myself, there it, it feeds into the whole new dynamic of Mercedes. It's no longer the Hamilton show. They can no longer treat George Russell as they did Valtteri Bottas with him being a good wingman because George Russell is the future, be it now or be it moving forward. So. I think it was good they let them fight, but I think we shouldn't be fooled that this is going to be an equal Mercedes garage where there is no team orders. I think the cars just fell right, really, for them to allow the drivers to fight in some regard and to give the, the, the face, at least, that it's, it's equal. But um, when it comes to a crunch time, when it comes to them at the front, you could see something rather different happening in regards to both the team orders and also um, how the drivers race, really. The four-time world champion and current Aston Martin driver Sebastian Vettel has announced he'll be retiring from Formula One at the end of the season when his contract runs out. He leaves the sport aged 35, the third, or joint third, most successful F1 driver of all time, if you're judging it by driver's championships. He's level with Alain Prost there, and I think it was no surprise to those in Formula One, fans of it, maybe to his own garage, that the German would depart with immediate effect from the sport. There was a lot of negative noises coming out from him, most recently about F1 stewarding, how the sport handles discrimination about the impact the sport has on climate change and the environment, as well as his team's own performances, really, which have, let's be fair, been underwhelming at best. But, you know, regardless of the facts as they are, it's undeniably a sad state of affairs to see him go at the younger age of 35 when you consider that those are uh, the drivers are going on to in some cases 40 40 plus but it's sad to see him go nonetheless the talent the personality and everything that comes with him but what are our thoughts on Sebastian Vettel leaving Formula 1 come the end of this season after Abu Dhabi?
1: Well I think when it comes to Vettel we're we're not surprised he's going and if you're sitting there thinking hold on a minute you've missed a key Piece of news to this week, which is Alonso's announcement to replacing him. Don't worry, we will be um, discussing that, but we can't this week because we don't have quite enough time. So instead, we're going to tease you with the notion of discussing it, and you have to come back next week to hear what we actually think about Alonso. But no, we're focusing on Vettel because Alonso can wait. There's, you know, we've got three three weeks of summer break. There will be plenty of time to discuss that particular uh, segment of Formula One news. Vettel, to me. <laughs> I think is alongside Lewis Hamilton in the people that got me really impassioned by Formula 1 I did not like Vettel when Vettel was winning for Red Bull he had mm. to me an arrogance and I wanted Lewis Hamilton to win and and you know there was that fun healthy rivalry within the sport and it, to be honest, that I you know that was a real opening of passion. I think for for motorsport um, and Formula One, and Vettel's redemption arc throughout his entire career is has been fabulous to watch and pleasures to talk about. Actually, I think he, I think as an individual, has grown a lot um, in the last few years, especially as his success has been reducing. Which I don't know if there's a correlation there. Um, but I think when we thought about Vettel going to Ferrari um, and in his potential for wins in 2019, and of course that didn't really happen. Um, I think for a vet, that was the end for Vettel. Um, his move to Aston Martin, if I'm brutally honest, I think looked more like a retirement option for him. Um, coaching Lance Stroll and, and trying to get some more performance out of the team. But Vettel's heart's just not in it anymore. I mean, he's on things like BBC Question Time, which is a, a, a British TV show d- discussing politics. He is turning up to races directly opposing some ridiculous rules from F1 management or FIA management about rainbow flags and whatnot. He's turning up on rainbow um scooters to to prove a point and good on him as well he is working with lewis hamilton um amongst others to try and demonstrate that there is there needs to be changes within world well, worldwide not only in motorsport but also in terms of climate as and um and tolerance towards others as well i think vettel's cooling is no longer going round a track at 180 200 miles an hour and in fact you know looking at the at the wider wider picture of of his life in the words of him there is another
2: race to win there'll be some of you who listen to this podcast who will be uh, more recent fans of f1 and it's brilliant to have you um and you would have seen sebastian vettel the driver who the last few years has sort of gone on a bit of a decline has been outstripped by Charles Leclerc, has been treading water in aston martin at the back of the field um but I can vouch, having been an F1 fan now, for I the first F1 race I watched was, I think, a couple of races before Vettel made his debut back in mid-2007. And so I've seen many of his career highlights, including his later ones. But I can tell you now, for a start, Vettel in that Red Bull from 2010 2000, to 2013, absolute monster. Absolute monster. It was unbelievable how good he was. Like, think... I know that Red Bull at the time had a... Even if they didn't want to admit it had a more defined number 1 and 2 with mark webber sort of slipping into that number 2 role i'm sort of comparing it to mercedes over the last few years where hamilton and bottas were kind of they were more there was more freedom for them to fight and there wasn't more of a defined number 1 and 2 but still vettel like he had a car in the, with that red bull that was to his strengths that was tuned he was tuned into and he was just unstoppable he was phenomenal he won like Forty ra- in the first six years of his career, he won like forty races, got like forty poles, won four world championships, all by the age of twenty six. So like at that point, I was thinking, wow, he's gonna like win nine, ten world championships at this rate because he's just phenomenal. He's unstoppable. Like you said, Tristan, British fans and many other fans used to hate him a bit, like how people have hated Hamilton the last few years, a bit like a bit like how you get Verstappen gets booed at races because people get people get jealous of winning, and i'm not I've always been one of those sports fans who one of my favorite things in sport is seeing an athlete at the absolute top of their game and thinking they're absolutely smashing it, and what have they done? what have they brought into their routine, their training their life to make them such an unstoppable machine and I kind of saw that with Vettel. I was left there just in in awe at this this driver who was just absolutely unstoppable. He would take pole position by like fo- half a second, six tenths of a second, in admittedly a faster car, but he'd smash his teammate, Mark Webber. He won nine races in a row in twenty thirteen. Nine in a row. He, they came back off came back off the summer break and he won every single race to the end of the season. Imagine now if we went back after the summer break and Verstappen or Leclerc won every single race. Like it doesn't like it's it's impossible, it's not gonna happen. But Vettel did that. Um, has all the youngest uh, until Verstappen came along had all the youngest ever records in Formula 1 history youngest pole sitter youngest fastest lap youngest win youngest world champion youngest double treble quadruple world champion Um, he won in a Toro Rosso bit like how how Pierre Gasly won an Alfa Tauri uh, back in Monza a couple of years ago Vettel did that in 2008 in a Toro Rosso which was like 6th, 7th fastest car and yet he, he got pole position and won in a wet race um, he was promoted to Red Bull super early. He was just a machine. He was an absolute machine. And then it's almost like his career like went out of control, spiralled in a good way with so much success, and then it just went completely the opposite way after that. Not that he was terrible for the rest of his career, but he found himself in cars where they weren't as much to his liking as that Red Bull, that initial Red Bull. And whether it was Red Bull, Ferrari... Aston Martin he just never got that same sweet spot back, that same sweet spot back um, and it's not like again at Ferrari he won like 15 races I think something like that across 5-6 years it's not bad going at all especially in an era of a Mercedes domination um, but it was never the same it was never the same as that high point and it's not often you see a you often see drivers where the high point of their career is like their late 20s early 30s his peak was literally before he was 26 like that's how good he was early in his career and how much he hit that sweet spot. Um, it's scary to think what might have happened if he'd had a good car between, like, well, when he was 26 and when he was, like, in the like last few years. He could have wiped the floor with F1, smashed every record. But, like you said, said, said Tom, at the top, he ends with four world championships. Um, if you look at all the statistics in F1 history, only Hamilton and Schumacher have won more races. Only Hamilton, Schumacher, and center have got more pole positions, and only Hamilton, Schumacher, and Fangio have more world championships. Like, that is a hell of a record. He goes down, whatever you say. I, I get I completely get it if you were to say, Oh, he's not one of the absolute greatest because he had like a had like a fall from grace and he had some tough periods. But he's undoubtedly one of the best of all time. Just for like his ability, his that period in the Red Bull was just incredible and like and we and that's just that's just the f1 side i'm sure one of you guys could go on and talk about all the the stuff he does all the great stuff he does off track as well now with all his support of taking the knee and lgbt rights and stepping up that way um which has gained him so many followers from a new from a a modern a younger generation so yeah his impact on the sport quite incredible really if you sum it up
0: yeah, definitely. I mean, similar to yourselves, I was a Hamilton and Button fan, Any British driver, really, when I joined the sport in 2007, and there was Alonso, there was Massa, there was Weber. they were all the ones that threatened to take the crown away from our beloved Brits, but he was the first one that I really feared... When Vettel was on his day, when Vettel was in that Red Bull car between sort of 2009 to 2013, you thought, okay, here we go. This is this is you know going to be a real fight in our hands, be it against Hamilton or be it against Button. And his talent is undoubtable, really. I mean, the fact that he went on for four years, regardless of the car, to go on and dominate the sport is a testament to how good he's been and the record's right itself, really. But it's good to see him moving into this elder statesman role when it comes to Formula 1. It's good to see or good to have a personality like his in the sport because, similar to Tristan, I always thought he was a bit petulant to start with, a bit you know, overly aggressive, a bit arrogant and you know, a bit self-centred in many ways when it came to either the fight in Red Bull or the fight against any other driver really I mean you have one or two incidents that I remember particularly although slightly later in his career the 2007 Baku incident where he accused Lewis Hamilton of brake checking him then drew alongside him sort of punted into him I thought was a bit childish at best and um It's a shame, really, that we saw him peak in 2013. That never really hit it off between himself and Ferrari. It goes back to the earlier point of things, not working out between Ferrari and great drivers there. But he certainly had the car in many aspects, but it never quite worked as it did uh, with Red Bull there. And I think, really, he failed to cope with the young and hungry talent of Charles Leclerc that burst onto the scene there. And that really took him by surprise. I mean, you could measure his his downfall, I guess, or the start of the spiral from Hockenheim 2018, when he had that lead in the Ferrari and crashed out in the mizzling conditions. You had the spin in Monza in 2019, where he quite dangerously rejoined the track and got many points on a super license there. But the way he was booted out of Ferrari was quite... Unceremonious. it was wrong in many ways because, of course, COVID was an impact and, you know, the pandemic changed things. But the fact he was gone before he even started that season, if that makes sense, he was gone for 2021 but had to go and race in that god-awful 2020 car was, you know, just not great to see, really. And it's one of those, you say, where we see the talent we have with Sebastian Vettel, we know what he's capable of, but it not quite clicking was so frustrating to see. But I think Formula 1 will be poorer for his personality not being there. You know, the fact that he's raising so many key issues there about, you know, Black Lives Matter, LGBT rights and the rights of everybody, really, equality when it comes to Formula One and also um, the the climate change angle as well is such an important conversation Formula One has to have moving forwards whether it likes it or not, really, because it is a gas guzzling enterprise. It is not very sustainable in the amount of rubber it uses, the travel it has as well, and the plastic uses we saw, you know, you go around all these different circuits, be it in Europe or elsewhere, and the rubbish which Sebastian Vettel helped to pick up up after races was colossal really so in many ways he's been an ambassador not only on the, the track but also off it as well with the issues he's been been raising really and it's good to see that it's not just Lewis Hamilton flying the flag for many other things and I think we'll be poor because of that really because you look at so many of the drivers currently in Formula One and none of them really I feel want to have the pedigree to stand up and take on that role of saying the uncomfortable things which I think Vettel has done so well really but similar with his fourth from grace with Ferrari, I think we all knew how it was going to end with Aston Martin, really. It was one last roll of the dice, one last hurrah that we could see a rejuvenated Sebastian Vettel after one that had you know, fallen away so badly in the latter years of Ferrari there. But realistically, it just hasn't worked out has it? Looking at 2021, for example, he scored points seven times out of 22 races. That's roughly a third. Of course, you had the P2, the Baku, which was... A great flash in the pan moment but just that really and this season it's not going much better the team in, in my view is going backwards points four times out of 12 races that's roughly a third again but it's a shame that we didn't see more of Vettel at his best because when we saw him at his best he was a, a force to be reckoned with really but I think he's doing the right thing he's graciously banging out the sport when he realizes that the gig's up really and hopefully his trajectory in terms of what he's done for the sport the length he's been in it the role he's played be that the racer and the ambassador and knowing when you know his time's up will serve as a nice blueprint really to drivers moving forwards the younger ones to know that it's okay sometimes not to win everything it's okay to realize that there's some races and other things that you just can't win and you know that's that's fine that's how it is but um certainly be missed certainly be missed you consider as a, as a say that he's bowing at age 35 you got some drivers racing to 40 plus it is a shame that we're seeing him leave this soon but you can understand why really well it seems that's all we've got time for in terms of episode 23 of f1 in review thank you very much for listening to this one be then on your preferred podcast provider Will be at live or while we'll the Listen Back feature of River Radio. A reminder: you can uh, follow myself and Tristan individually on Twitter, as well as the F1 in Review account. All one words, no hyphens, no underscores, and nothing. Just that. If you want to follow us on Twitter, there we do post the episodes after they have been published on there. So if you want to scroll back and listen to a few by all means you're welcome to do so and now as we say we're heading into the summer break where a lot of business is to be done and some already done in many cases where we're looking at Aston Martin of course we have that Fernando Alonso move from Alpine to Aston Martin we'll be discussing that more come next episode and no doubt along with all the other news and topics and movers and shakers if you will of Formula One is to come before we speak next but until next time thank you very much for listening and we'll see you next episode